0: welcome to the podcast tonight we're going to talk about um big ideas and how to structure them and this comes from a question that lady holder asked in discord and jillie's going to read the question out and for those of you who are listening in the future this podcast was recorded on march 25th 2022 and there will be a summary of the question in the description of the podcast
1: happy spring everyone okay the question is, can you tell me how you figured out when you have a super long story, if it's best in episodes or novel, and which do you prefer writing?
0: Um, Personally, I tend to split big projects up like that, like Sentinels of Atlantis, um, depending on how I want to tell the story. Like if I'm going to have, like what might have been is more of a novella series than anything else, and it has a limited POV for the most part. I try to stick basically with John and Rodney with occasional outside perspectives for um, balance. Um, in Sentinels of Atlantis, I bounce all over the place with POV. And that works in an episode series. It would not work in a novel for me or a novella series where I feel like the POV would get diluted. But with a project like Sentinels of Atlantis, that that scope allowed me to focus on different points of view that I normally don't include in my work. So it was very helpful for me to have that um, perspective and that interest. It it, it it let me tell stories that I don't normally tell, even in Stargate.
1: Yeah, because um, with, with um, what might have been, whether that was a novel series or a novella series, it wouldn't change much except for the size, obviously, of each piece. Right. Um, it, it's. And some of the, some of the pieces are bigger or smaller than others, but, mm-hmm. um, there definitely are, um, sort of, it, it's more serial in nature, sort of like, um, more like the Eve Dallas books a little bit in nature. Not exactly. Cause you are working yeah. on building a, a, a bit of a more, there's more of a, a narrative arc to the whole thing than I think the Eve Dallas books have. Um, least what I've what? read of the Eve Dallas books.
0: That whole um, big narrative arc is kind of hard to do in in commercial fiction. Um, yeah,
1: especially if you've got a huge, huge, uh, which hers is, when you've got a huge. And the thing is, she clearly intended, if it took off, for that to be a large serial. Uh, what i uh, sorry, a large series, because generally the idea with a series work is that they stand alone and that they probably can be read in any order. And you want that for something like. The eve dallas or a tv show generally that somebody could pick it up and read it and some things aren't going to make sense but um it won't be able to put the reader off completely right and so that would be a series serials are designed to be read in a specific order and they tell a bigger narrative arc um and um what might have been i think it was more of a serial it has a bigger mm-hmm. narrative arc but you're still telling a discrete story in each novella um and then there's so there's kind of three different things right is do you tell it as a standalone story do you tell it in a multi-part novel format or do you tell it in a um um in a in a serial in a series kind of format where you you are doing this episodic thing where you have different povs and you have different storylines and you have subplots that you probably wouldn't entertain in a novel or even a novel series
0: yeah, because, you know, in Sentinels of Atlantis, there are, there are episodes and moments that would not have happened on screen for you as a reader if I had been doing a novel format. And that includes um, one of my favorite parts, and that's when Bates comes online um, off-world. That would have been told for entirely from John's point of view, and you wouldn't have known what happened until John showed up.
1: Yeah, the whole... The whole subplot, and that subplot, I think, didn't that subplot for Dean and um, Graham, Graham? didn't that start in another episode? Yeah,
0: I weep. I weep. You know, honestly, um, Sentinels of Atlantis is the first time I ever did that as a writer. Um, Before entering fandom, I told novels. I only told novels, and occasionally a short story if I'd been offered to be in an anthology or whatever. Um, So coming into fandom, gave me a lot of freedom to explore different kinds of storytelling that I could not explore professionally. And it relieved a lot of stress, stress for me and it opened up a, um, a method of storytelling to me that I didn't really think I wanted to do until I was doing it. Is my sound on discord wonky?
1: Am I in hear from anybody else? Usually if you're hearing something weird, yeah, you should pop out and pop back in. Mm-hmm. Not you, Kira. Um, the, the person, the person who is hearing something weird. Um, so. But I think that
0: probably I I was kind of mimicking, I was mimicking telling a TV series basically. Yeah. You were, Um,
1: you were, you were, you were taking the first season of the show and radically extrapolating. And it would be a radical departure with Sentinels and Guides sent out there. mm -hmm. Um, And most people, and one of the things I really like about it is a lot of people don't explore the ripples being that big, right? It's like they explore subtle ripples, like things happened a little bit differently, but they don't seem to happen much differently. And Sentinels of Atlantis is a really good example of, Sentinels and Guides are a big stone in that pond. Mm. And so they should change things very dramatically, not just a tiny bit. And they do change things very dramatically. So uh, it... It was, it was really dramatic and because of the episodic format allowed you to do like a TV show does where you, you diverge away from the main narrative arc of the season because Stargate Atlantis did have kind of a narrative arc for its seasons, not, Mm. it wasn't, it wasn't a huge in your face narrative arc and you could you could miss probably half the episodes and not be lost but um there was one but you could definitely take departures into standalone stories in a tv show and it's no big deal you know um in, i would in, in x-files we always called this the monster of the week episodes and there were more monster mm-hmm. of the week episodes than there were myth arc episodes um so people always would, there'd be like a list of, here's the myth arc episodes. And if you want to understand the canon of the show, here's the myth arc episodes you need to watch from each season. And everything else can be watched out of order. And the myth arc episodes, it's very thin, right? It's a very small list. Uh, for for every season, the myth arc episodes are pretty, pretty slender. Um, and Monster of the Week um, is actually a really good... Uh, format, because that's what you have for Law & Order. It's uh, They have Criminal of the Week, for the most part. There was very little overarching storyline for Law & Order. Very, very, very little, to the point that I think some people don't even realize that sometimes there was <laughs> a right. little bit of a... Nar- and that narrative arc was usually about, it wasn't about the storyline, it was usually about a character arc. Sometimes a character would have an arc that would span a season, but it was like blink and you miss it.
0: Um, but also, what was with what they had to do because they didn't have that overreaching arc most of the time is that if they were going to come back to something, you would get a little last time on moment where you would right. see a previous scene from an episode so that you would get a refresher as a viewer on what happened like a year ago or yeah previously on or ten years ago. Like there was a really interesting episode that featured Olivia where you saw different her getting hit by this particular event several different ways um as a young cop uh and like when she's first entering the special victims unit and then again when she's older and then again after elliot is gone and it's like dudes how did you do that that was amazing because some of it looked like brand new footage it wasn't footage from an old episode but it was her looking 10 years younger. I'm like, how'd you get the budget for that?
1: Right? You look better than people slay it. Um, <laughs> and I, actually, of all the shows for character arc, uh, SVU and Criminal Intent had the most um, character arc. Um, I loved Criminal
0: Intent. T- 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 I loved it.
1: Yeah. Uh, but like the classic Law and Order had pretty much... M- a little to no character arc i mean you had a little bit with that one um da who went like witness protection or something mm-hmm. um that spanned a few episodes but that was it basically the entire format of the show was if you tune in this week and you missed the prior four episodes you will not be lost and they kind of they kind of you know they were ride and die on that, that that premise that you didn't have to catch up to watch it whereas some shows it's like you step in to watch a show and you're like I am so confused. Do I have to go back and watch from the beginning? Yep. yep and then you yep, go back you. to you go back to the beginning of that season. You're like, do I have to go back to the beginning of the show? Yeah, yeah, you do. You can't just go back to the beginning of this season. You have to go back to the beginning of the show. And it's that's like, wow. how you
0: end up binge watching five five seasons of a show on Netflix. Right.
1: <laughs> if it's good, if it's if it's not so hot, and you think I don't want to get in, I don't want to do this, then that's how you alienate your your viewers and they're like i don't want to do this so um you can do that with uh something that is more of a series um as opposed to something that's serial which is where you have those side stories that are completely independent or relatively independent of the main thing and throw them in there and it's part of the same universe and your your readers will go yes i love this um and it's it's just a different thing so uh if you have a big idea and you're trying to decide how you want to tell it so let's um i think that you need to first
0: figure out what your big events are you know um what is your beginning and your middle and your end for your series work uh because signals of atlantis has that across the entire season and it has it individually in each episode um as far as the narrative arc goes, I had a... I envisioned that miniature version of Atlantis leaving Earth in that last episode before I wrote the first episode, The Gathering. I already knew how that was going to end. I knew the ending scene of The Search. Um, and I had to replot, but those two events stayed. I—but uh, That's actually a really good point, Edie, because I did a series... Uh, in episode format called revenant and it's currently on the wild hair project it's on the wild hair project because i made a mistake because that's written in episode format and it should be a novel
1: i mean and sometimes you do you are kind of like that wasn't the way that wasn't the way to go to that um and
0: if i had not written it if, if i had not written it on R- rough trade you guys probably wouldn't have seen it for years because at that point when i started writing on rough trade i realized what i had done and i was really deeply unhappy with the formatting that i had that with the structure it, it just like ugh, i was i was just really disappointed in myself <laughs> as a person and as a writer
1: <laughs> well the only reason why it's on wild hair is because people wanted to write in the revenant verse and right
0: and i wanted to give that... somebody original source material they could link to right. i'm still a little bitter about which that
1: shit. which is how y'all wound up with uh believer for evil author day was that uh, uh somebody several people actually contacted me about writing in um the believer verse and because i actually have blanket permission on my site for people to do that kind of thing although i've never had anybody try to do it with a story that i didn't have posted um i was like oh well i felt like i should have it up somewhere yeah <laughs> not that you know it really that really was i just felt like it needed to be up if people were gonna be writing and posting in that verse and have something they could point back to and say, "This is where this concept came from." Um, not that they couldn't point to the first story tipping point, but the development of the world building is really all in believer. It's just that tipping yeah. point is literally the tipping that's point. That's
0: the meat. That, that's the meat, and that's something to consider as well when you're doing a novel series or a novella series or an episode series. Is where is the meat of your world building? Where are you developing your characters um but the first question i always ask myself is how many povs do i need to tell this big giant ass story i want to tell and if it's more than two it's not a book it's it's i mean if it's like if this is like maybe two or three you know, it depends you
1: i can know? do i can do three i can do three
0: well i've seen you do seven but <laughs> hey hush
1: hush yes well that was <laughs> i have owned my pov shenanigans I have owned
0: them. (laughs) Yeah, but sometimes you need a little POV somewhere to make a point. So it happens, right? But if you're looking at five, six POVs, you're not... For me, unless you're writing fantasy, that's not a novel. That's a series, whether it be a novella series or an episodic series. That's for you to determine. But it isn't the only determining factor. When I decided how I wanted to write Requiem... um. It was about moments of change big moments of change for for Buck and what he was willing to do to save the little girl that becomes his baby his daughter Um, and that moment of change for him is where the story begins when he's standing in that cemetery with Athena Grant and that episode ends with him it's a novella that that novella ends with him solidifying his relationship with Eddie Um, and just accepting that, hey, this is this is where we're gonna go with this. And so the second episode, which you guys will get for quarter three of the Big Moxie, right? Yeah, that's the paranormal one. Um, is about Eddie's parents, uh, Chris and Eddie, and B and Buck becoming um, more of a family unit. And so it's so that's another change that's happening for the four of them. Um, and of course, the earthquake <laughs> happens. <laughs>
1: Um, when it comes, when we, we used just use the phrase, uh, or start in the middle, which Kira always, she, we, well, Kira kind of clarified what start in the middle means because when we used to when we had those craft podcasts where that was initially put out there, we had a lot of people like literally starting like in the middle of a scene. Um, which was fine. There were some playful like started in the middle of a sex scene. I was like, Wow, this is interesting. It was fantastic. It was <laughs> it was, was great. I was like, I was great. I was what? like, oh
0: wow. you bring
1: it. <laughs> you bring it. Um Somebody started like right in the middle of somebody dying and it was like whoa okay that's a that is one way to get attention and i had no problem with it but it was interesting I'm like, and so i so then after a few times of this i was like i think people are taking this start in the middle thing really literally but i always for me i always started where some where something is changing for the character to me that is always where you start your story is where something or something is about to change Um, because otherwise if you're not at a moment of change for your character, you're, um, you're starting in the wrong spot. You're just laying ground. You're feeling too much groundwork, right? You you just, if they're plotting through their day and nothing's happening. Um, in the, the, unless they're, unless them plotting through their day is the story for some reason. Um, but when I was writing, um, my quantum bang last year, I had been writing something else. Um, initially and after Buck Begins aired I sat down I said I'm gonna give myself a few days to work on an idea I had in my head for I I was just I was so I was so overwhelmed with how I how I felt about that episode arc that I just had to get it kind of kind of get it out and this was last March and um I gave myself a couple days to just or maybe a week I gave myself well initially I gave myself a couple days to kind of set everything else aside and just work on um what became Pull Me From The Dark and I um I started writing and like eight days later I had 70k written which is probably the fastest I've cranked out 70k in my writing life it was like it was like it just kind of like it was like word vomit it was out um And um, I don't usually write, I mean, I can write quick, but I don't usually write quite that fast. And um, I actually had gone, I believe, past the point, almost past the point where the story, current story ends. Um, And um, I was like, normally, I have this thing. If you're going to end an episode or a novel or a novella, you usually don't pick up the next story with the very next scene. Like... there usually needs to be a reason for breaking where you do. And um, in my own head, um, one of those reasons is there's going to be a time skip. So time skip is one of the reasons why a, a big time, like let's say I've been writing a narrative arc and there haven't been any big time skips. A, a sudden need for a giant leaf in time forward could be a good reason <laughs> to structure things into a, a, a a break right there but anyway that's that's a different Our chapter yeah well it depends i mean it depends on where i am it depends upon where i am in the narrative yeah depends on where i am in the narrative <laughs> um but
0: she, she she messaged me one night she says i have all this and i have no chapters like you have chapters
1: Jillie. i did i did i i had written the whole thing because i didn't wasn't even paying attention i just sat down and started writing and i said i wrote all this there's no chapters which i've never done that before either <laughs> But then I went back to find the chapter bricks, and they were there. And they're about yeah. where I usually put them, and about every five to 7,000 words, there they were. Um, every
0: writer has a natural rhythm that way. So, yeah, I mean, she definitely had chapters. You could actually go through the search, which is not chaptered, and chapter it, because it would be overt.
1: Yeah. Even the works that I have done that are, like, uh, one, supposed one-shots, that are... Um, like 30 K or so as a one shot, they're going to have a chapter rhythm to think. That's the way I write. But anyway, so where the two stories break, there is literally a one night difference between where one start, one start, one ends at one night, it's the next one starts the next morning. That is not usually where I would break a novel. No, I mean,
0: I would do a big break like that over a time skip or a big location jump.
1: Right, that's what I would normally do. And I had thought about ending the story, ending the first story, as Buck is leaving Texas. Um, and then have the next story start when Buck arrives back in California. Um, but there were several things wrong with that structurally. Number one, that is a big emotional moment to start a story on, almost to the point that second story, you know, Buck reuniting with Christopher and Eddie and letting Eddie know he's home after the tsunami and all that. It's a big emotional moment, almost too big an emotional moment to to put at the beginning of that novel because then what if I can't match that moment in the climax? What if the what if my first scene is bigger than my climax scene? Right? That's way out of balance. And the other thing is by not reuniting Christopher and Buck and Eddie and Buck and giving closure to Buck and Eddie's angst about the tsunami. I felt like I was leaving the emotional arc of the story, the first story, unfinished. So I felt like he had to get home. That's where that first story needed to end is he needed to be back home.
0: Yeah. I mean, that and then gives I could, the reader and you an emotional payoff.
1: Right. So I, I could have ended it, you know, when he left Texas, he's on his way home, and the reader could have been like, you know, it would have been a hopeful ending, but not a happy ending. Um, Happy ending, even though there's going to be another book, and people got it like eight days later, would, a happy ending was where I ended it, which is he's home, he's reunited with his boys, everybody's happy, that's the happy ending. He and Eddie are together, they've they had the impromptu kiss because Eddie lost all sense of himself and kissed Buck instead of Which hugged was, him.
0: Honestly, that was one of the best moments for Eddie in that story because it was like he just immediately got over himself. It was right. just like phone on the floor, Buck in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it was really good because he just like, it was like, this, oh, fuck, there you are. <laughs> and then he's and like,
1: I'm good. He's like I'm really sorry I just meant to hug you. <laughs> Bucks like, "No, no, no. Come back and kiss. It's okay." <laughs> Give me some more of
0: that. I want some more of that. I'm but it was I'm just a moment for Eddie because he was just like it <laughs> was like a, a light, it a, was like a switch flipped. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was So
1: good. I I mean the climax of the story was actually I felt like the 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 uh the narrative climax was the whole tsunami thing, the TV show, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. the kind of that emotional climax giving the reader that closure climax thing was Buck coming home. So I knew I needed to end the story there, but I knew how much story I had left to tell because originally when I sat, when I sat down about, and I, cause like I said, I just started, this started pouring out, you know, but I, I did plot this about, Because I just started just to make some notes, but I did stop about 5K in and start plotting. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, as one does. And um, I knew how much story I had left to tell. And I was like, I got, I got like some opinion. Um, And I was like, I feel like I've got, I feel like I'm only at the, where I was with, with Buck coming home. This is before I had decided to make two books. With Buck coming home, I felt like I was only at about the two thirds mark. And I'm like, uh this is narratively bad to keep going. Yeah. So I, I had and to that's really point consider
0: that you can reach whether you're a plotter or a panzer or a plotzer in between. Um, as you write more and more and more, you're going to see your 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 natural climax and end to a story. And in fandom it's it's the inclination of most just to keep going because they have more story to tell but if you deploy a little discipline which you know takes it all take we all need it because i have gone completely off the rails that's why there are projects in my works in progress file that you guys i've had working for 10 years you've never seen that's why because i didn't have any damn discipline um you can stop and start a new novella or a new episode And that's how, that's just something that you're going to learn through trial and error, through doing the work, 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 work.
1: So at that point, I knew that I had at least another third, if not more, of the story to tell. I knew I had hit a major, major climax of the story already. And I didn't know if the climax that was going to be the entire narrative climax, which would ultimately have been... Um, the confrontation with Maddie was going to stand up to this whole situation with Eddie and Christopher and Buck and I don't think it would have so I was like so I was at this point I was like okay so I can dilute my entire narrative arc entirely water down the whole thing and take the emotional punch out of this first story and as one novel it would have been both novel both sides if it would have been less good so I knew I had to split it and i thought and i tried to try to put a to a time jump in there but it just wasn't working to put a time skip in there and all that would work i you know i i was like i already had a natural end to that first book and so i then had to work on restructuring the second half of the thing to make it into its own novel structure on its own because it needed to be 50k on its own and um and so I sat down and had to do some work to work on that second book to make sure that, um, I do think the first book packs more emotional punch in a lot of ways, even though we see the realization of, um, Bucket Eddie's relationship and a lot of the healing and the stuff in the second book. Um, and then we have all the sex in the second book, um, I'm making up for all of the times I complained about there not being any (laughs) sex. the fandom um but i think that it would have been both stories would have been would have suffered terribly by staying as one story and um and i don't i well i think that people would have been like oh this was good i don't think they would have realized that how much better it would have been if i split it
0: so she had that kenny rogers moment you know you gotta
1: know when to hold him that's right i had had my gambler moment so (laughs) I didn't walk away. It's already done. I'd done been there. <laughs> so I've, you know, I've, I, I uh, once I knew that where I was at was where that first book needed to end, then it became a matter of how do I make the second book have its own tone, its own vibe and be impactful on its own. So I had more work to do to recraft the second book and give it its own um, flair. Um, And its own vibe separate from the first book so that it didn't just feel like, you know, 30K of falling action on the first book, which is kind of what those plot points were originally crafted to be. Uh, And I'm like, well, this kind of feeling like a dud.
0: (laughs) So, In that moment, what she had to do was shift that momentum um, upward. She had to move the events in a way that it was building tension instead of... Winding tension down and that can be really difficult, but I think you you did it. bang on. So
1: thank you Well, when you're when you've hit a natural climax in your story Uh, one of the worst things you can do If you're gonna resolve the storyline If you're gonna end is to start letting your action rise again If your actions starting to rise again ask yourself am I starting a new book? Am I introducing new plot points? Because a lot, I find a lot of fan fiction writers do this. They introduce new plot points in their falling action. Don't do that. Uh, it's it's not a great idea um, to have the action start rising. It's one thing to kind of tease about something or foreshadow a little bit of something that might happen in your next book, but it's another to actually let the action rise again. And, you um, if you find that that's what's happening, that you've had a climax, a really big moment, everything came down, and then you brought it back up, you might have, have had a natural, you might have written to a natural conclusion on your story, and it was time to start the next novella or novel in your series, which is the point I hit. And I, um, like I said, I plotted it as one work when I plotted it. And then I went and went, okay, do work, stop and fix the second to be something other than what I what, would what plotted. So, um,
0: And if you're not posting as you write and you are uh, keeping your work to yourself, unless you know outside of rough trade, um, which, you know, it's not the same thing. Um, and you come to this point, no one needs to know how you got there as long as you got there. Okay, whether you're pantsing or you're plotting, you're going to do this work on one side of the equation or the other. And sometimes even if you've done all that work in the front, you'll do that work again because you'll have to restructure. Like originally with um, Gratua, that's my Mandalorian series, I had two books planned. I had to do a third because me, (laughs) being me, had a Battle of the Five Armies moment at the end of the Thousand Mile Road. If you oh. can imagine it. <laughs> I can't.
1: And I was like, Bitch, what are you doing? You can't... I remember I remember, th- I remember this plot point.
0: <laughs> you can't just retake Mandalore like that. What, <laughs> what do you think you're doing? <laughs> there is a third book in the- that I plotted because I had a Zero Draft that had all of the events of them going and kicking the Empire what's left of the empire off their planet they get mandalore back um and i introduced a character specifically in the thousand mile road that shows up on mandalore uh she's a rebel kara calls her connects with her about getting a spy link in a satellite above mandalore well this girl's bored and she's too smart for her own good so she goes to mandalore and plants herself amongst the mandalorians on the planet and so i have a, a a small subplot with her and the mandalorian leader who's on that planet right now that that den knows whose name i've forgotten um and finally she admits that this um this former rebel showed up and they, and they kept her <laughs> and so um yeah and she keeps her the other way too <laughs> she's gonna, she's gonna keep that one. <laughs> so I had this kind of like this little subplot romance for those two, for those two ladies, and I'm really pleased with it. Um, but I introduced her for that purpose in the narrative of the Thousand Mile Road. Um, well, Kara didn't send her, but Kara's not mad that she's there, you know, because Kara's really pragmatic. Where Dan is like, you could have gotten killed. You don't, you, you just a little rebel. You're a little computer geek. What were you thinking? What were you doing? Nice gun. <laughs> but yeah, so I had that little subplot. So, really, honestly, if I had finished my zero draft on Thousand Mile Road, it would have been around 210,000 words, which honestly means that I zero drafted three books instead of two. And I recognized it when I came to the point where I was like, oh, that's my climax. I'm done. So, this is a pitfall that we all can fall into yes ketsu gets kara's rebel uh computer geek that called what i cast her the casting for that particular rebel is ruby rose because i have a huge crush on her so i'm gonna put her everywhere i can um and um she's the one that did the computer work for kara's communication communications satellite thing anyways yeah
1: we do all have a a crush on ruby rose um,
0: I mean, you know, she's going to go to that planet as former rebels. She, but when they get there, Ketsu's going to be like, this is my wife. <laughs> you know, as one does. <laughs> Marriage rights being private and all that. <laughs> she did want a Mando of her own. She's going to find out all about that helmet. Yeah. But, she's yeah, gonna, so. She's
1: going she's gonna to get one.
0: <laughs> so. Whether you are a plotter or a pantser or somewhere in between, you're going to, in the structure of your works, as you continue to write more and more and more, recognize what you need to tell a story. And sometimes, no matter how much experience you've had, whether you've been writing for 30 years or 10 years or 5 years or 8 months, you're going to make a mistake on the structure. And your goal when you come across one of those mistakes is to regroup, overcome it, and and, and find a solution that works for you. Because it's not about your successes, it's about how you handle your failures. Uh, And that's true of any creative endeavor. Because honestly, I learn more from the mistakes that I make that way than I do the successes. Because I'm just building successes on previous successes that I know will work. So when I fail at something, this is me learning, oh, okay, I see what I did there. Battle of the Five Armies. I see what I did. How am I gonna fix it? And you yeah, gotta ask yourself, Kira, did you mean to sabotage your Hobbit story? Or was it just an accident? I mean honestly, I, I I did ask myself that when I got to that zero when I got to the zero draft part, and all I had left was the Battle of the Five Armies, and that's all I wrote for it. Um, that's literally it. That's one plot point. Battle of the Five Armies. It's the last plot point I have for small magic. And I asked myself Okay, did you think you could do that or did you sabotage yourself so you don't have to finish this I mean, what? because I don't honestly remember <laughs> but there is um there is a thing there right because I know that I I dread action scenes I think I suck at them I they take forever for me to write um the precious few that I wrote in um the Mandalorian series were really difficult for me uh. Although, I have to say one of my favorite action scenes I've ever written was in A Better Man. And that's when Kara kills that guy for taking her baby. Uh, I was like, I was really proud of that. But um, it took a lot out of me. It took me a whole day to write like, like 2,000 words. It's ridiculous.
1: It, yeah, we yeah, should a-
0: Superior knife work. Absolutely. IG's really impressed. <laughs> <laughs> But i did approach that from a characterization point of view versus an act. like her physical actions were for me background to her thought processes and her emotional response to having this asshole take her kid um and her acceptance of of motherhood um kind of jumbled up in her and uh left her feeling a little desperate and hurt and upset because she felt betrayed even if she wasn't even outright saying it or thinking it because she thought that her children were safe she let her believe herself believe that they were safe in the covert when they were not and this is a young woman who spent most of her formative years fighting the empire so only to be betrayed by them by the new republic after the fact thank you miss knots Zan is played by ruby rose in my mandalorian fic and Zan's gonna get her a mandalorian in the third book
1: yeah she deserves a mandalorian she deserves as many mandalorians as she wants My she can have a whole ga- she can have a whole gaggle <laughs> and and a wookiee or two
0: <laughs> there are a lot of wookies on that planet i uh but figuring out for yourself that where your beginnings and your ends are is just a skill that you're going to develop um no matter how you approach your craft like it isn't you know how you get there creatively uh is important to your process it's not so much important to the reader the reader doesn't care how you get it done as long as you get it done
1: <laughs> right
0: and so it's and honestly let's talk about this too readers are greedy readers are infan- honestly just readers across the board are greedy they want more and more, more, more and more and more and in fandom quality takes a back seat to that they'd rather have 500k of mediocre than 50k of awesome and it's not good for you as a writer to invest in that kind of mentality it's just not um, conducive to good writing hygiene i mean it's it it teaches you terribly bad habits. And the next thing you know, you're sitting on, you're, you're on, you're on AO3 and you've got a 500K epic in there. And really, you have like eight or nine novels that you've written or novellas that you've written that you've smushed all together and you're acting like it's one big book. <sighs> and it's a big fucking hot mess.
1: Yeah. And people will think that that's somehow better or they will, what they're, what they, what they're saying is better is that. The, the more words is better because if I had made the so far series into one book as it is, if I'd put those two together, it would not have been better. It would have just been more. They needed to be separate. It was two separate pieces. Somebody commented on my site recently and, and I bitched mm. at some of the, some of the peeps about this and I'm going to put the text of it. I'll read it for the, for, for the crowd, but I'll put the text of it in the, in the group. Um, I'm not going to do this, use a screenshot because it had the person's uh, name on it. Um, so I'll put this in the... So what they said is, So I know you and a couple other writers on these sites like to leave us with these incom- complete slash incomplete stories, like y'all are allergic to long stories or something. You're the writer, so what can I do, right? I'd love to find out what happens. I live in hope that this story and a couple others are fleshed out. The story that this, commented, this comment was left for was Unobstructed Views, which was my first quantum bang, and that story is sixty-four k approximately. I think sixty-four k mm-hmm. ish, ish, ish. It's it's upwards of sixty k. Um, I cannot imagine a circumstance where I have ever written a novel, not anything novel length that was not fleshed out. Uh, I've certainly written some short stories that were not fleshed out uh, because sometimes that's what you do. If you're going to put out something with 10K where you don't have time to, you don't have words for world build or have subplots. You're just, you're just going for the money. There are definitely, you're, you're intentionally not, not, right? You're intentionally not fleshing. Yeah. It's 64K. You're intentionally not fleshing stuff out. Um, but it's the whole complete incomplete thing i guess they're saying i'm saying it's complete but it's not complete to them i i don't know what their criteria for completeness is i don't actually want to know because i don't care what their criteria for completeness is it probably has something to do with word count. you know well no probably has something to do with an underage character getting their brains fucked out um which is just not on.
0: Oh, um, oh, God. Oh, God. You're absolutely 100% right.
1: So, you know. The reason I why had Styles that and Derek. Yeah. The reason why Styles and Derek, as a pre relationship, even though Derek, Styles is 17, almost 18, is because I don't write underage characters uh, having sex with adults. It's just not what I write. I actually will read Styles at 17 with Derek. Um, at 17. <laughs> Just gonna put that out there. I don't know why seventeen is a big deal for me, but it, it is. Um, and I know there's a lot of places where sixteen is the age of consent, but but anyway, um, I won't write it. I won't write it. I I I've actually I don't think I've ever lived as an adult in a state where eighteen wasn't the age of consent. But in any case, um, also it is the story is labeled Gen. It is written as a Gen story. Um, it is mentioned that there are hints of—I believe it says that there are hints of pre-gen, hints of future Derek Styles, hints of it. hints of it. Um, Derek's not in a good place emotionally. It also is not a really good time to be putting him into a relationship. I mean, come on. So I don't know. And, and it clearly, they're talking about other. Right? They said they said that there are other stories as well that they hope will be fleshed out in the future. I don't know which other stories that they would like to see fleshed out. You know, half of my works by word, by, by title are Jen. So, which shocked me the day I did that count. I was like, oh my God, half my stories are Jen. (laughs) Um, not by word count, by word count, more than, more than half is, uh, romance, but, um, by title count, if you count the titles that are Jen versus the ones that are half or Jen.
0: Um, which is perfectly okay. But, you know, I one of the ugliest comments I got on The Legacy, which is a James and Lily story, um, and Sirius OC and Frank and Alice, those are my listed pairings for that story, by the way, um, is they were pissed off because Harry didn't get to meet Hermione. It wasn't about them. They weren't even listed as a pairing. He's eight.
1: Ish. He's a child. But, yeah, he's. I think he's eight. But I mean, it's like people just have this thing. They have an ex. They have a thing that they want to see. um And this is my, like I said, this is my hunch: is that you know Styles isn't getting it from Derek in this story. But I don't. I, the other thing is, there's teases about Styles' magic um in this story. That was but just
0: the, leaving yourself room for a sequel, which is something that you're uh, honestly. That's your shit. You can do that if you want to, and it's good craft. Cause it's right. building
1: style. And the thing about styles magic, um, one of the reasons why I didn't explore it in any further, because the level at which I explored it in the story, it's clearly still canon divergence, right? Once I go into the sequel though, it takes it into a very AU territory. Yeah. Um, and I'll be honest, I'll just tell y'all straight up, his mother's a dryad in the, which is revealed early in the second book. Um, he's got a sister, but there's finds nothing out in about.
0: canon that says the that she isn't.
1: That's true. There is nothing that says she isn't. Um, but the nature of his magic is, I think, takes it pretty AU. Um, but again, there's nothing in canon we'll that, that says it his magic. Canon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's nothing. Actually, nothing in canon that says some of this stuff couldn't exist. It's just maybe his magic is, you know. But
0: that's one of the best things actually about the Harry Potter POV problem. And I mean that by that it's mostly from the POV, the least curious child to ever get a magic wand. Um, I do mean his actual wand, not his whatever. Okay. We we know what you meant. Clearly, literally, you can do practically anything across the board and just using the books because Harry's so damn uninterested in the world around him that it could actually be canon and you wouldn't know it. (laughs) well honestly harry didn't notice that blaze and beanie was a boy (laughs) so let's just get that out there right thanks harry (laughs) we could have used that information (laughs) but so a lot of times if canon is not well developed it gives you a lot of room as a writer um but back to the question um Beyond, like, how many POVs do I need to tell this story? How many stories do I have to tell to tell this complete story? Right.
1: I have my current quantum bang, which we can talk about a little bit. I won't get too much into details because it's, you know, I don't want to spoiler things for y'all. Uh, I knew, and I'm, I'll be upfront before I say this, What I'm going to say, I knew when I conceived it that it was three separate narrative pieces, three separate stories in it. I'm only writing one, okay, only getting one for the quantum bang, okay, the others will come later, probably, but I knew when I conceived it that the full story as I conceived it was three pieces, And, and sometimes you just know that up front, there's three pieces, um, it'll be a hot minute, well, maybe not, it won't be that long before this airs, but, um, this is a season five story, um, and it takes place right after the whole ambulance thing, and, um, then the events that occur uh, in the story, in the story between Eddie and Buck are, there's a big catalyst event to kind of get Eddie to wake up and realize kind of the deterioration of his friendship with Buck Um, and Buck and Taylor wind up breaking up and then Buck and Eddie get together and there's a whole thing that there's, there's kind of a culmination, um, a natural end to that arc but the whole thing with like Maddie and Chimney and the fact that Maddie wasn't around for this major thing that happens hasn't isn't isn't addressed at all, and the reader's going to be probably scratching you know probably wondering like where's Maddie in all this? Well, it's canon she still hadn't turned up at this point, and we know that in canon because she hasn't turned back up until like after St Patrick's Day. <laughs> she certainly wasn't back before Thanksgiving, um, so. The second book would be, you know, progressing relationship, um, Maddie making contact, the fallout of her not having been there. um, And then some kind of, you know, culmination. And there would be a third story about the moving on from everything that had happened. Um, But I knew when I conceived the idea that it was three pieces. Uh, And I was glad that I knew ahead of time that there were three distinct um, events that needed to work out because it's better to know that i would say i will say it's better in my head to know that up front (laughs) so that i i really have a lot of clarity about the first book which is what i'm telling for the quantum bang um it's better to know that at the beginning um, because of the distinct moments of change that are occurring and those distinct consequences and events that occur, and the fallout of them, and then the resolution of them, um, and then some foreshadowing of the things to come, and then you go into the next book, and there's this distinct series of events, um, and then there's a, but because, and this is serial in nature though, so it does pick up on what happened before and carried through. So um, it is easier to be able to envision that upfront. There's no doubt if you can sit and look ahead of it. Look at look at the whole idea and go. This is three pieces. Um, but sometimes she you look gets at an idea that ability to see that from
0: experience, from because yes. she's done this before, not particularly this particular story before, but other stories like it. Uh, Julie excels exploring um, a character's journey, so she sees the journey happening and she sees how that journey should spread out over her narrative and. Being able to do that about her own work, being that kind of self-reflective, comes from writing a lot. Because that's really, when it comes down to your craft, that's the way you learn. And that's the way you grow. And
1: sometimes I still still tip headfirst into a problem. Um, but usually when it comes to character arc, I typically see the major movement in a character arc much quicker than I see the major problems in a plot arc. Uh, And that's just a function of the way I write and the way I think about writing. So like if I'm contemplating a really complicated time travel idea, sometimes I will need to really sound that out out loud with somebody to wrap my head around it because it doesn't lay out in my brain as clearly as say, I do fine with some degree of, but I mean, obviously I plot, I mean, like I'm plotting quite a complicated fusion AU for the next four challenges coming up. And it's, that's not a problem, but when something spans like a complicated mechanism that I have plotting mechanism, I haven't dealt with a lot like time travel. Cause I haven't written it much. Um,
0: I, I have to flex,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have to flex those creative muscles to be able to figure it out. So it's like, uh, can we talk this through can i talk it out loud and they kind of sound it out and how does this work and then sometimes i still kind of will stumble and smack myself in the face and um and sometimes i have a lot of clarity around my own process in the plot but it's because there's elements that are less familiar in my process when i'm doing that when i'm when i'm knee deep in a in a style of writing or plotting process that I'm very familiar with, I will usually see these problems more ahead of time. Um, But sometimes I still trip into it and I'll go, oh, (laughs) look
0: at that. (laughs) I I just... A lot of times, because I am a more of an event-driven writer than a character-driven writer, that I will, if I'm stumbling in the events, I'm not likely to um, fail to notice it. But if I'm stumbling in the characterization, I will often blame Pace. (laughs) It's just, my Pace is off. (laughs) No, your characterization sucks right now, honey. (laughs) Whereas Jilly is more of a character-driven... You see her character driving the plot. Um... So, it makes sense that if she's going to stumble on elements, it would be like the mechanics of time travel and not the actual mechanics but because we're all stumbling on that right now. Um, please don't figure it out we We can't be trusted with that. um I mean, as a species, not as an individual, but as a species, humanity cannot be trusted with time travel. um I can see her getting wrapped around the axle about the events um in a time travel plot because her characters are driving her narrative like 99% of the time, which is just, that's part of her her author voice. Um, but so we all have our moments, right? And it's how we accept those and manage them. That's the important part.
1: Right, and knowing, and you, you learn your process and you go, oh, okay, I've got a problem here. But the thing is, one of the things I think is the most important is when you're, whether you figure this stuff out in advance or whether you stumble and you've got a problem and you go, I've got a problem, it's to listen to that voice that says something's up. Um, There are a few authors I know who are plotters who, well, like they put something on hold and they go, something isn't working, I don't know what, and they'll percolate on it and they go back and read it and go, I still don't know what's going on, and then they'll go, okay, I need an alpha read, I need some help from somebody, and they'll get an alpha read, alpha reader come in, go look at it and go, Okay, this is what I see. And then they go, ah, yes, okay, that is it. And sometimes you just need that outside point of view. Um, Because being a plotter does not negate these problems happening to you. But when you are, if you are a pantser and you are writing and you feel like you've hit a big moment in your story, you feel like you've hit the emotional climax of the story, but in your head, you feel like you're only halfway there, stop and think, you have probably got two books. I mean, that's probably an indication that you need to consider crafting a multiple-part arc because it's not a guarantee. Sometimes there are little. There's like a mini climax before you have the big climax, and the bigger the, the novel is, the bigger the story is, the more mini climaxes you can kind of have. The kind of the kind of like a big moment, and then you either have like a little plateau or a little bit of falling action, and you rise again. You do that too much. And it starts to feel like uh, a Um, teeter-totter. Maybe. (laughs) It could start to to feel like edging.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you you guys a story. I was reading something on AO3. I'm not going to say what it was. But I kept getting it was a series of unfortunate events that meant my two characters that was, that i felt like I should have met like in chapter three had not not met by chapter eight and i was like okay fuck you i'm done i'm done i'm 100 done this is uh, i didn't agree to this i need a safe word because <laughs> i've definitely felt like i was being edged against my will <laughs> it was just like i'm done She's and like, every time i, I want like out double bird my monitor, because I'm still pissed. And for all I know, they could have actually met the recently posted chapter, but I'm not reading it. <sighs> I'm not better or anything about it, though. She's not. This is why you should rework some progress, too.
1: So, you don't want your audience to get that feel, like you're just bouncing them around. Um, and because that's not good narrative craft it's not about even the reader at that point it's like because if you're writing a novel with a narrative arc and narrative structure you're not just rambling into the void you're doing it to be read and there's a difference between considering the reader and making your story readable and you should always consider readability and that whole you know seesaw thing that's not good sometimes you do hit Peaks and level out, peak and level out, but you shouldn't peak and drop, peak and drop, peak and drop. That's falling action and then rising action, and falling action and rising action, and that isn't good because what happens if you hit the biggest emotional peak, maybe not the biggest action peak, and this is a disconnect sometimes. What if the biggest emotional moment was in the first third of your story, and the action climax is in the last third, which is where it should be? The climax of your story. But it's a dud because your emotional climax was in the first third. So when you when you hit a moment when you feel like you had a really big emotional moment in your story. And you're about to keep writing on your next plot point. The next thing in your head. Stop and consider. There's something. Your brain is trying to tell you something.
0: It could be that your emotional moment is in the wrong place. That's something to consider as well. Um, you could be rushing the characterization a little bit or you're rushing the emotional content, um, or you've got more than one story and you've reached the end of one and you're, and and you're ready for another.
1: Because, and that could sometimes people inadvertently rush an emotional moment. And maybe you need to move that to later in the story. If it can't be moved, I had this conversation with somebody once where the (laughs) premature emotional is emotional Um, I've had, had that conversation with somebody where that it made no sense to move this big emotional moment to later in the story, but it was too big for that early in the narrative structure. So they needed to break into, sm- into like a series of short stories, like series of 10, 15K stories. Otherwise, they had the peak of this like novel in the first 15K. Do you have any idea what a weird letdown? I mean, think about it. Your emotional climax for your story is in the first three chapters. It's you may not it, it may not sound weird to some people, but that is actually incredibly jarring to a reader. The whole story after that point is gonna feel flattened like a dead. But and they if might they not had, even know why. Right? They might not
0: even and, recognize why they're bored with you, but they're bored with you. And it really it isn't about like we talk about reader response and readability, but in the end, that's not—it's not even about the reader. It's about you as a writer and um, as a maker. You want to create something that is good for yourself, and part of that creating something good is readability
1: right. and
0: good construction. So,
1: and there's this weird thing—it's—it's a—it's 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 a flip in the brain. So if somebody says, the end, they give you the falling action, and they go, the end, on that big emotional moment, and you're like, oh, that was so good, and then there's, another story. And you like, oh, good. It's like you have this letdown. You kind of have this, oh, okay. Your kind of heart, your beats a little bit faster. And you're like, oh, okay. That was great. And you, you make your comment, you make your kudos, and then you go, oh, there's another story. And then you start over again and you, you bring your expectation back down to zero and you go, let's go. And you start the journey again. And that is let's completely be where different right and that is a completely different vibe for the reader to be in headspace to be in even if it was literally them just clicking next work in series it is that switch that flip in the head can happen super fast this is a new part of the story
0: it's also good for you as the the writer it gives you because not only does your reader need a break at that moment you do too you need to reset do some evaluation figure out where you want to go next if you are a pantser look at your zero draft work if you're a plotter or your outline or whatever you want to call it and figure out what plot points serve the next episode or novella in your series and what kind of story do you want to tell after that first story that you've told because that's like i don't know that's just the best way for me to do it yeah i think that once you start doing this and looking at your ideas in like as concepts that can move across multiple works um, you will find um, the best process that works for you to give these ideas that you have um, body, whether it's a novel or a, a episode series or a novella series or a series of novels. It just depends. Like I don't think I think that telling Gratua as a series of novellas would have been frustrating as fuck for me and the reader, but mostly for me. Could I have told it in episode format? Certainly, but it wouldn't be. It wouldn't have the scope. Because if you look at, like, the Mandalorian series, it's a TV series on Disney+, Plus, right? So you get, like, 45 minutes per episode. Um, these are little discrete packages, little discrete stories that build, that build up to a big story, and it's very good. Um, but I didn't write TV episodes. I wrote big, giant-ass movies, basically. Yeah. So I took the format of the Star Wars movies, like the the nature and like the 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 body of a star wars movie and structured that for my mandalorian works because that's what served the story i had to tell best and like i said sometimes you're gonna fuck this up sometimes you're gonna get it wrong and that's perfectly okay failure is not only an option it is, it is an it is an acceptable circumstance <laughs> it happens is it pleasant no but it happens
1: there's a um the other part the other part of the question is like uh let me see how the question was i don't know if it's best in episodes or novels i think we kind of covered the ep- best is, is it best in episodes or novels thing but the best is a little bit about how you want to tell the story more than anything um but also kira said how many points of view do you need if i was writing a big zombie apocalypse thing where let's say i had four or five groups converging on one point Um, Like, let's say I had the people in LA, and people in DC, and people in Texas, and people in Wyoming, and they're all trying to get to Colorado. And there's people in Colorado. And I needed to write what was going on with all of those people. I would probably tell that episodically. That way I could focus on individual storylines. No more than two storylines per episode.
0: Um, I'd probably have a, a main character in each region.
1: Yeah, definitely. I would have one POV character, maybe two if I had like a central, like if my main fandom was Stargate Atlantis, right? I might have two POV characters for Stargate Atlantis. But if I, w- you know, if I then had a 911 and a 911 Lone Star and a NCIS and a Criminal Minds, and a, I would pick one POV character for each. And I think we've used this example before, probably why it came mm-hmm. to mind easily. Um, pick one POV character, but But one thing is if you are doing it episodically, you can then have potentially do two two, two POVs. Like if you're doing, but like I would do everybody in D.C. together. So if I had the NCIS cast and the Criminal Minds cast, I would probably have one POV for NCIS people and one POV for the Criminal Minds people. They meet up on the way out of town and they go together. Um, And then you've got. Um, maybe you've got the LA people. You've got the guy from deputy and the guys from 911. And I would use that um, his his assistant uh, bodyguard. Maybe I would give their POV, and then I would give maybe Eddie's POV. That'd be my POV for the LA group, and and that's kind of the way I would like approach how I would handle my POV. But if I was doing um, like multiple jumping between locations, like let's say I was going to go like touch on what was happening like let's say there was a a nuclear bomb blast or something like they set off a nuclear weapon in maybe the place where the source of the infestation was and the government was hoping i probably would jump to my main pov character for each fandom in that episode to deal with how they felt about the ramifications of a nuclear weapon kind of thing um in which case then all of a sudden you've got like four povs But that'd be like the minimum to handle that kind of situation. But that, in that particular case, that whole episode would be about an event, in which case the event is more important than the character narrative. So it would be a lot of juggling to do something like that. But I mean, that's an extreme example of world mechanics and juggling POV. It'd be very difficult to do in a novel. Because when I've seen that kind of thing done in a novel, what happens is you don't you get one character's storyline for a little while, like a, for a chapter, and then you don't get back to it for four chapters. and it's frustrating as opposed to getting Very. that character's you get that I would rather get that character's whole journey all the way to Colorado and then give me the next group's journey to Colorado and then the next group's journey to Colorado if that's relevant. At some point, I don't know that I need the same thing told over and over and over again, you know, if it's just gonna be the same basic.
0: I mean, I think that I'd probably do like, I'd probably have two or three, I'd focus on two or three groups, and then I would have the groups converge at different places um, coming together, like, just because it, um, it'd it be a lot. And even in an episode series, you serial, you do not want to do, dilute your narrative. And if you're running that many POVs constantly, it's, it's going to dilute your story. Um, because you do need a driving force in your serial work and in sentinels of atlantis that's john and rodney um that's honestly also true of stargate atlantis john uh john shepherd and rodney mckay are the only two characters i believe in stargate atlantis that appear in every single episode do they so i but that's like that's because they're on the city so i would not expect if you're bringing all these groups together that your central focus would be in every episode but it's important when you're driving a serial that you have somebody at the at the wheel, someone that your audience and that you as a writer can deeply invest in their story and all of these other people coming at them or with them are highlighting and adding to the story and to your character's journey so that's how i would that's that's how I approach a serial or a series,
1: yeah. I mean it becomes like some ideas you know they're they're big. Um, now some ideas you can choose to approach big or you can choose to cut all the extraneous stuff off and approach it small. Um, and that's a choice. Um that you so have John to...
0: Rodney and Taylor are in all in online episodes. Well, See, I thought she took some off because of her pregnancy.
1: I really thought she did, too.
0: Because when she was kidnapped, there were some episodes that I didn't think she was in. They they might have filmed them before she got too pregnant to do it. Okay.
1: Yeah, but again, it could have been a case of where, you know, they they filmed her. Um...
0: Before, yeah. Um, the actress that played Taylor got pregnant during the course of the show. Um, and there were, um, they were... During the filming, she gave birth. So, uh, there came a point when she would have been too pregnant to be on production is, and of course, they had been her postpartum. So, I guess if she is in all the episodes, even briefly, it's because they filmed her in advance. Which makes sense. And it's a smart thing to do. Other shows could take
1: that on um, board as a lesson. Right. Take note. Please. Um, um, as to which I like writing more, um, I will say the only thing I don't like, because I have reasons for liking novella series or short story series or episode series you know um the only thing i really don't like writing it's not a matter of don't like writing it um i don't like it writing an epic which for me is anything over like 100k in the genres i write in which i've got definitely got there close to there i think i want to say century is pretty darn close to that um and a lot of the issue isn't the writing it's the finishing is a beast it's a beast century was basically written but for one scene and some stuff i had to take out you know i had to take this something out and then figure out what to put in its place and but that was basically done for a long time i mean i don't want to it would be embarrassing to admit to you guys how long that was basically complete um 104k thank you starlight um so that was basically complete for a really really long time except for some Bits and bobs, and I—it it was the editing, the finishing, the making sure it was coherent. It, it's such a bear that it's not the writing part that's unpleasant. Um, it, it, just, it just it's just—it's not, not—it's not—it's not fun. It's not fun in the in the in the complete end-to-end execution of it all. Um, Emergence is huge. Emergence is really different. Um, uh, that was the only thing I had in process really at the time. Uh, I would definitely. Emergence is, is massive. It's it's like two twelve. So it's it's bigger than anything else on my site. Uh, I think the next biggest thing is Journey Home, which I think is like one hundred and twenty six. But Journey Home was a beast too. Um,
0: I think my biggest work on my site is probably Loyal.
1: Yeah, and I think anything anything like approaching hundred k, it starts to become. I, I start to dread the finishing of it, not the writing oh of God. it, the finishing. It's like the the second drafting and the, the editing and the whole, it just starts to feel like a beast. So for that reason and that reason only, I like series or serial work uh, where I can break it down into, I would say pieces of 40,000 words or less are really nice to work on because I can edit, sit down, and edit second draft, 40,000 words, probably in a day, 50,000 mm-hmm. words is p- starting to push my limit of what I want to edit in a single day, and then nice,
0: it needs to be my sweet spot for Big Moxie, 50ish day,
1: yeah, um, but there, there needs to, um, oh, by the way, after you left, Starkindler said that the, some of the episodes, Sayla's cre- in or credit only, she's not actually in them, oh. Um, but, um, there's something about once you hit novel length that it just starts to become more and more and more work uh, it takes multiple days to edit, to do a second draft on it. And why that matters, like if I can just sit down and do a second draft or a final draft on something in one go is why that matters because it allows me to achieve better consistency and to feel like, and also I don't have to set aside a whole day to work on it i could set aside a part of a day to to second draft something and are not,
0: not going to spend six minutes in beta
1: right so it just because of all of the stuff around it not just the writing but all of the stuff around it i enjoy working on things that are either shorter or are serial or series work more um not 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 for any other reason because i certainly gravitate towards long ideas and big ideas and I mean, when fearless in the in the end game, fearless is probably going to be upwards of 100k. well, obviously it was 95k when I, obviously it was 95k when I, um, put last posted. It, so it's probably going to be 130, 135k, which That's is what
0: your story needed.
1: Yeah, but it was one. Fearless was one narrative arc. It was not going to be told in pieces. So that wasn't even a an option. And honestly, there's some stuff I shortcut in the early part of the story that when I second draft that, I'm probably going to toss in another 5k into small scenes that should be added in that I just am not happy that I decided not to put them in for the sake of, I felt like I was doing it for word economy. And I feel like I just, you know, I, I don't know, I started to feel like I was just rushing to the point. So, but
0: also sometimes word economy, like it's attractive, but also, um, Sometimes it can feel like a punishment.
1: <laughs> right. So,
0: um, of course, a hundred K edit also feels like a punishment. So,
1: a huge you know, punishment. your may vary. Yeah. So there's a, um, that's prop that might even wind up being 140 K in the, in the, in the end process, which will probably be the, lo- the longest thing I'll approach in a single work for a while. But, you know, and I did consider, is there a way to make this multiple works? Not really unless i wanted to tell it in like like literally little baby chunks like 10 15k where i take each like little thing he does but i think that would have felt fragmented and not it would it would have had a very event driven feel to it and not an emotional feel to it and it wasn't the way i conceived it so that's not what i wrote
0: um the other side of the coin on this issue on this issue of whether to write episodes or um, novels or novellas is just to decide what you want to do and then structure your idea around what you want to do now for a plotter that may be more difficult than if you're a panther. Because Julie just highlighted when she said that she didn't that it would feel disjointed and she didn't think she would be comfortable with taking that not that giant novel and separating it into parts. But I think that a pantser, if they just decided, you know what, I'm going to write an episodic series, each one's going to be 10k. They go out there and do that shit, wouldn't they? (laughs) They would, (laughs) and it would work for them, (laughs) and it would be fine. But then you have someone like me. I have this giant idea, and I'm going to do. Wait. <laughs> I guess I'm going to be telling a big giant ass novel. <laughs> because, honestly, sometimes, like, that's just the truth, right? A pantser can say, okay, I'm go- I want to write a 10K episode series. It's going to have 10 parts. And that's all they decide. And then they go write their 10 parts. Then they edit. They're going to have to edit somewhere along the line to-, to make it work. And it will work for them. Um, whereas a plotter will often deconstruct an idea to fit a structure and you only see one way to do it based on your experience as a plotter when i decided when i had the idea of sentinels of atlantis just after i read the unlikely and the unwilling by lady holder um and i wanted to explore john as a sentinel going to atlantis um and i was trying (laughs) thank you uh it's still embarrassing that i didn't make the connection between you and that story and race bait Speaking about Beta. six For six months, for those of you who don't know, I met Lady Holder first through her work and didn't recognize her when she offered a Beta for me. So, um, I'm reading her work on Wraithbait and really enjoying The Unlikely and The Unwilling. And there's this lady in this Yahoo group that I belong to who's offered to Beta the Awakening for me. She wasn't the only one. Um, the other one turned out to be a hell beast, But that's, that's another story altogether. Okay, so I'm letting Lady Holder... <laughs> beta the awakening and i'm like i'm really enamored with this the unlucky and the unwilling on wraith bait and i start noodling the idea of john being a sentinel as a result um and what i would do with it and how i would approach that and that's where sentinels of atlantis came from um and also it's why they meet in the mountain instead of in and in, in the chair room like they do in canon and like they do in Lady Holder's story, because I didn't want to copy her narrative structure beats. I wanted to, you know, obviously carve my own path and not be a asshole, Um, which is why they meet in the mountain in Sentinels of Atlantis. Um, But just to give myself a different jumping point so I wouldn't be stepping on her toes as a writer. And that's what you do when you look at somebody's idea and you know what, this is really interesting and I kinda like your concept, I'm gonna go play with it. You don't take their plot with you when you go. (laughs) You need to write your own plot. (laughs) Okay? Okay. Um, So, like, six months passed, and then one day I realized that Lady Holder, my beta, was also that writer on Wraithbait. He wrote The Unlikely and the Unwilling. I'm gonna tell you how that happened. I don't often look at author names when I'm reading, and that was especially difficult on Wraithbait. The title would be big and the author name would be tiny. It just became inconsequential to me. I just wouldn't even notice. Thanks. Genetics. It took me, like, I don't know, the better part of a decade to actually admit that to her. So.
1: (laughs) I had no idea who you were. Uh, really? Here's my beta. (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) No, it wasn't like she was using a different name there. No, she was Lady Holder everywhere. I mean, it was like, there was no... I mean, it wasn't like she was hiding. She was not subtle at all. Um, But, yeah, so... When I conceived Sentinels of Atlantis, I saw the overall part and I saw my ending kind of looming. Okay, there's my ending. How do I get there? What characters do I need to get there? And I'm already writing what might have been. Um, So I had all these characters I was developing and, you know, I had Matthew Shepard and I I was playing with Patrick Shepard as a character. And um, it just it it all came together that way. and when I realized how big the idea was, I knew I couldn't tell it in a, no- in a novel, maybe several novels that didn't feel like it would be complete that way. And so I took apart the first season of Stargate Atlantis um, and structured The Sentinels of Atlantis to kind of mimic that structure. And that was the result. Not a bad result.
1: Not a bad result at all. Except for that horrible, horrible data loss.
0: Oh, God. let's not talking about it. The beauty of Fibro is I no longer actively remember those stories that I lost. So, there's that. I think I estimated once that I lost upwards of 700,000 words of, of writing. Was that a hard drive failure? Both original and fan fiction?
1: That's just... God. My brain just... I, I can't even deal with it. I can't even deal with it, dude. Uh,
0: no, it couldn't not. I paid close to $500 having that hard drive investigated I sent it off and had it dissected in a clean lab in the clean room with a dude in a lab coat a you know, mask <laughs> which you can do if your drive fails you can send it off somewhere and they will open it they will crack it in the clean room and try to extract the actual disk of the hard drive if it's a old-fashioned hard drive and try to read it um, It was a dead loss. Yeah. It was a Seagate hard drive. I do not recommend them.
1: I mean, your pain is about, like, I swear, it's, like, 90% of the reason why I am really um, adamant about cloud storage for myself now. Because I don't, I I mean, I've had.
0: I use Microsoft and Google, and I have a hard drive. I have a backup hard drive, and I do a, and and i actually still own a seat, uh, a dvd burner and i burn my um to a dvd once a quarter I'm, i don't i don't care if it's paranoid i don't care
1: well i mean i didn't used to want to deal with cloud storage and now i'm like yes cloud storage please can i have some
0: can i have a lot please thank you thank you
1: i do i do use multiple locations too thank you lady but Heather. i mean
0: do i need to go over there correct it i
1: probably do what do you need to correct maybe not well, sorry, yeah. um,
0: I like your cover but, art, your banner art. Um But so when it, you can conceive a series that you tell in an episode format. If you go into it even as a plotter, as or as a panther, as a plotter, you can say, Okay, I want to write an episode series. That's the other side. Like if you don't have a big idea, you can cultivate a big idea.
1: Yeah, because there there is sometimes somebody it Is this weird thing, is there sometimes I hear somebody's idea and I go, Holy crap, that's a huge idea. And I would go, I I would need 100K to tell that story. And it's because of the way I envision that kind of story would need to be told. But it's not necessarily the way they envision how that story would be told. So, because I could see the subplots and the character development, the character arc, and da-da-da-da, but that may not be the kind of development that that they see because they may not see the same narrative beats or they may not see the same subplot potential. Or they may just want to get to the point rather than, you know, have other they may not want to have all this external pressure on the characters and maybe I would put a lot of external pressure on the characters to build tension it's all a matter of what kind of story you want to tell so the idea in and of itself some ideas inherently have length and some like somebody presents an idea and it's taking them just to describe the idea it's taking them like 10 minutes and a two-page synopsis you're like yeah that's going to take some words um i hope you're planning on a series for that but other ideas it's hard to tell because it it matters the storytelling style of the author is really matter matters there have been times in rough trade when we've been doing a short story challenge when like kira and i are like comparing notes go they think they're going to tell that story in 15k i'm like good let's luck. see good luck let's I'll see and
0: guys, then... i'm gonna tell you guys a story I had a friend who um, was shopping a book she'd written this book and it was about ninety-five thousand words pretty long actually for a romance novel in the market at the time um, she's sending out the synopsis over and over and over again and it's yo, know, her book is great um, and she's not a new writer she's been published before she should not be hitting the slush pile with even with her synopsis because she's not unknown um, but she keeps getting rejection after rejection after rejection. And finally, one of the editors sends her a detailed rejection. And in this rejection, she says, Um, I'm a big fan of your work, but I don't understand how this ten page synopsis could be told in a single novel. So I said, Girl, let me see your synopsis. <laughs> because a rule of thumb a rule of thumb when you're writing a synopsis for a novel um that you've already especially if you've already written is give yourself a a small paragraph per chapter so really her synopsis for this novel should have been about two pages and it was 10. so all these editors were thinking that she's pitching a 250 to 300k novel and they weren't there for it they were not signing up for that shit. and who blames them nobody it wasn't like she was pitching a fantasy novel this was like an adult contemporary suspense no (laughs) romance it had romance in it too um so i'm reading this and i'm like okay we're we're gonna have to go i cut eight pages off her synopsis and she's like well now it barely tells the story i said that's the point honey she'd never written a synopsis before she was published from the soft pile with a full novel and hadn't um had an agent for years And sent completed works for years. But then her agent retired and she didn't get a new one. She thought she could handle it on her own. She did sell that book. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) She did get a new agent. She needed one. (laughs) But, you know, she was still writing on a typewriter. In, like, the early aughts, she was still writing on a typewriter. So, um... In fact, I think she even wrote her last novel. She retired about five years ago. She wrote her last novel on Typewriter. Her agent would, she would send it to her agent and then her agent would have it transcribed by somebody in her office. And she was upper mid-list as far as like, um. by the end of her career, I mean, even now, she's making enough royalties to live on. But she wrote for, she started publishing in the early 80s and retired four years ago, five years ago. So yeah, <laughs> so size matters. But those editors were looking at this giant ass synopsis and from their own experiences, normally reading one page, two page synopsis for novels, they were not seeing a book. They were seeing many books trying to pretend to be one book. And it probably, it would, I imagine there were a lot of confused editors thinking how the hell, what the hell, I'm surprised she didn't get phone calls, honestly, honestly. And I wasn't the only one to tell her her synopsis was too big. It took four of us to get her to edit her synopsis down. Because she was convinced she needed to tell the editor every single event. Basically, she was sending them a zero draft instead of a synopsis. A fairly detailed zero draft. <laughs> Someone right? should have written her book from her synopsis. <laughs> Very nice lady, though. Very sweet. Very talented. Southern Gothic tone to her voice anyway. Her author voice was had a Southern Gothic feel. It's lovely. But um yeah, so sometimes we'll look at Projects on RT and thinking, you know, it would take me two hundred thousand words to write that.
1: I know, it's just like, uh I, wait what? It's like while wow, you're and then sometimes somebody approaches it and there are times somebody approaches it in a different way than I would. And um and Nine um blood. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, wow, okay, I'm like, that's, and I love that, because it's like, that was great, it was, it was, it was different, it was, it was, and they got in, in that 1520k, or whatever, especially when we were doing boot camp, and we were really focusing on short story, short story format, mm-hmm. and then there'd be other times, people would just, a surprise. right, and then there'd be other times, where people would be, that you get an author note, like, halfway through, going, this is gonna be much longer than I expected, and I was like, no, duh,
0: <laughs> we saw that coming but again that kind of estimation comes from experience and sometimes we get it wrong even about our own work i mean i went in now i when i looked at unlimited demons i thought 110 to 130k i think i hit around 114 120 someone's gonna look it up for me and get me wrong um so when and The Mandalorian, who books still around that too, 98 to 110 120K. That seemed to be my sweet spot for for that particular, for basically, I think for science fiction, <laughs> that could be my sweet spot. Um, my quantum bang for this year is shorter. It's 87. We, we, we looked at it up the other night. Or something like that, now. yeah. Um, it's tight. It's gonna. a... It's basically it's just a contemporary romance so there's not a lot of science fiction element world building to do and that makes a big difference when you're looking at fantasy like you know the Hobbit you look at Harry Potter you're looking at Star Wars the Mandalorian um, you're looking at big shifter AU's uh, that requires a lot of world building so you okay star says "Unless your demons was 116 K you need a lot of room for world building that you don't need like you know that world building in science fiction and fantasy that you don't need in contemporary works like nine one one, unless you're writing a magical realism, um, that you you don't need that much room to world build, because your characters are living in a world that your reader lives in. They know what your characters are moving around in. They know what fire trucks look like. They know. Um, Police work. I mean, they just they they have this foundation that you don't have to explain. But my goal with a better man, which was 99k, thank you, Star, um, was to create a story that someone who'd never watched The Mandalorian could read and enjoy.
1: And I got two I did two, well, not uh not uh not people who hadn't watched The Mandalorian. Well <laughs> I like my mom, my mom, my sister read it. Neither of whom read fan fiction. So two people who don't read fan fiction both read it. And then there was my mom, who apparently can't remember The Mandalorian. And they both really, really enjoyed it. So you also got the test people who don't read fan fiction really liked it.
0: Well, I actually had two betas who, one had, like, I think they both had seen the Star Wars movies, but not recently. And I think one had not seen the last trilogy of the Star Wars movies. Um, and neither one of them had watched The Mandalorian. And that was important. When you're looking at you know what kind of beta you want, what kind of alpha reader you want, um, and what you need them for. And I wanted to tell a story that they didn't need the canon content to watch it, I mean, to, to, to read it. Um, so having someone who never watched The Mandalorian um, was super important to me because it told me whether or not I was getting the story, whether or not I was getting the story done and making the characters live. And so... And thank you, um, for, the, for those of you who commenting in the chat. It's just, that's the kind of thing that when you're finishing up a project like that, you have to think about. Yeah, I did I, I put that awful terrible name in the third draft of the Thousand Mile Road because I had named him before he ever got named on the show and I will never, ever, ever use that name in, in a fic. He will always be draw and fuck all y'all who think otherwise. <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, Miss Knotts, I I highly recommend that you watch The Mandalorian. It is really fucking good. The pace is amazing. The characterization is interesting. His journey is awesome. And that is the cutest fucking puppet to ever be made.
1: (laughs) The first time I heard Grogu, I said it to Kira. I said he sounds like an intergalactic Chia Pet. I cannot. And since there is a Yoda Chia Pet, that is unfortunate. And if you don't know what a Chia Pet is, just you Google Yoda Chia Pet. You will be traumatized. You can
0: watch the scene where Luke Skywalker appears at the end of Season 2 on YouTube. They actually did a a decent job of it. There's a fan-made version that's a thousand times better, which is really funny. Um, Someone who went in and CGI'd a better version of Luke Skywalker on top of their version of Luke Skywalker. It was great. (laughs) But they did a great job for their budget, and um, and uh, it's just it's just a really good story, and it's told by people who yeah, it it's it's told by people who really love it, and you can tell. So it's like I highly recommend it. I have not watched the Boba Fett spinoff. Um, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I haven't decided. I might watch it originally. Um, Adam Savage did not make a puppet, but he did go see the animatronic version that Grant Mahara made um, as a um, homage to uh, the show. Uh, Grant made one before he died. Uh, But the puppet on the show is actually hand manipulated. He's not an animatronic. So everything he does, all of his expressions, the way his ears move, the way he moves, it's all done by puppeteers. And it cost them five million dollars to make that puppet. Five million dollars. So, when they were talking about whether or not they wanted to do a CGI or an animatronic, um, someone said, you know what, why don't you just be brave and do a puppet like, you know, bring it? And they were like, okay, yeah, we'll bring it. <laughs> and they did. And what's worse, that wasn't even the cutest version of the puppet that they made. No, not so far, Chris. Um, but there are canon circumstances in the three mo- last three movies that bother me a lot when it comes to, um, Baby Yoda. Because right now, he's in a Jedi temple that we know gets destroyed. And all the students in it are killed. So that means either he eventually dies in canon, or he doesn't stay there very long. I'm hoping he doesn't stay. Obviously, I'd like him to go back to his space dad.
1: (laughs) He definitely needs to go back to his space dad.
0: I read a great story once. Don't ask me to find it for you. I'm so sorry in advance. Where... Um, there's an episode of The Mandalorian where he gets tricked into going on this New Republic prison ship. Well, it's a canned divergence of that episode. He ends up getting caught by the um, New Republic. And they take him. They take Baby Yoda from him. And eventually, Din gets free because he busts out. He busts loose on their asses like a Mandalorian can. Um, because he realizes they're not going to let him go. and, And he's fucking done. Um... And basically just generally becomes a legend among the New Republic security forces. It's like, you don't want to get fucked up by Mandalorian on a mission, and they took his kid from him. and he goes to where Luke Skywalker has the kid to get him back. And he ends up meeting Han Solo and Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker, and he gets his kid back. And then um, but it's it's real it's a really good story. It's Jen. Um, it's on AO three. If you did a search for Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, and in the Mandalorian, over 40k, I think you would find it really easy because there aren't that many. But it is a little bit of a rough read because um, they do interrogate him, and um, the person who's um, holding him prisoner is a real dick. But it's a a great story, and it's on AO3. And I'm sorry I can't think of the name because it's... um, it's actually the story that really made me buy into the whole space dad
1: thing. So
0: I had an idea a- actually for a story, but uh, I don't want to say it over the podcast. Um,
1: yeah. Well, yeah. Sometimes I think that sometimes sharing the ideas over the podcast is safer because at least you have a recording of it. But, um, yeah.
0: This is a Jen story. It's not Luke, uh, Den, although I-, I have seen some of those I kind of would like to read. Um, I'm hoping they'll recast the part of Cara Dune, but I don't think they will. I think that we've lost that character and that's really unfortunate. Um Yeah.
1: I think um there also is by the way there's a story uh that retell I usually am not one for wanting to read retellings of canon. Um but there is a retelling of the season 1 of The Mandalorian from uh Drawl's point of view. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. He calls him Dad in his head, Dad. Yeah, Dad. He calls him. He calls him Helmet at first, right? Like
0: yeah, yeah, he does. He calls him Helmet at first.
1: The I think Helmet. it's like
0: it's called. It's called from a certain child's point of view. Is the title of, this, of the uh, series?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And he's really excited when. Um, this
1: one he, it does help if you've seen the Mandalorian the
0: little Jawas. Uh, yeah, I think you need to watch the first season of The Mandalorian before you read the story because it makes his point of view fucking hilarious.
1: Right, because he just he just doesn't take things with the right gravity. <laughs> you just, you know, yeah. Um, I, I want to say that one's in the link library, but I don't even know. If we're not careful how we put stuff in the link library, we don't even know how to search.
0: Um... Yeah, we should start putting descriptions in the link library. (laughs) Yeah. That one where. But yeah, it's really good.
1: My my search did not result in what I hoped it would.
0: It's like, yeah, from a certain child's point of view, something like that, Susan. Yeah. There's like two series because like, yeah, because she has one for season one and one for season two. I think so, Desert. Yeah, it's called From From the Child's Point of View by uh,
1: L-A-I-L-U-V-A. Yeah, and she starts calling, he starts calling our Dad Helmet or Helmet Dad or something like that. And then eventually just Dad. And the first time, I mean, it's just, it's just too much. It's just too much. It's, it's just, it's so funny and it's just so cute. But it's
0: a great companion to the show. Because, honestly, yeah, he does take things a little differently than Mando does. So there are occasions where Mando is precariously close to getting himself kid, killed and the kid's cheering him on. <laughs> Because the kid doesn't understand. The kid, the kid kid doesn't get. (laughs) I think that kid could actually be indestructible. I think the forces made him indestructible, so he doesn't realize that other people aren't as you know sturdy as he is.
1: (laughs) Somebody suggested it this way, so I'm gonna just try this Um, from the child's point. What is that one you found there? Oh, it might be.
0: I'm going to look at it right now to see, and then I'll say yes or no. Yes, that's exactly it. It's it's the same author. No wonder I read it, because I don't normally gravitate towards Jen, but I think I got here because I went to her page after reading the child story. It's called No Prison Can Hold. It's by L-A-I-L-U-V-A. How would you pronounce that? Laluva? 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 L-A-I-L-U-V-A, No Prison Can Hold. And it is a really excellent... Uh, character study and his and the thrust of this one was what? He They separate him from the kid and he realizes he's not going to get his kid back uh, through any kind of legal means so he goes to invade Han Solo's home to get his kid back and there's a moment <laughs> when he's He set off a bomb in this building. He didn't kill anybody um, to take out the power so they won't have security. And he's running up the stairs and he thinks, he stops for a moment because he's been surveilling them. So he's seen the kid with the solo twins and he's seen that he's safe. And he thinks maybe that he should leave him there because he would be safe. But then he realizes he'd have to go back to his ship and all of his toys and stuff would still be there but he wouldn't have his kid. And he's like, nope. (laughs) He just goes right up those fucking stairs and busts in the door. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my kid. <laughs> and the baby is so excited to see him that he force throws Luke Skywalker out of the way. He's like, nope. But there is a an immensely pitiful moment in it that made me cry. Um, when they put him in a crib. He got down on the side off the mattress so he could press his face up against the metal.
1: Oh, <laughs>
0: it was. I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> this author's tearing my heart out." Oh, no, you're hurting me. <laughs> <laughs> but it has a happy ending, so I wouldn't let. You, I wouldn't have recommended it if it didn't have a happy ending. But look, and they don't know why he's doing it, but you, as the reader, will know because you know he's missing his dad. He wants his dad. Oh. but that author's actually she's super talented so um i don't mean that actually like i was paying patronizing she's just she's super talented she's she's an na- excellent narrative and her author voice is is butter <clears throat> um
1: any follow-up questions about length of stories how you i mean i guess the question was really about the question was very specific about how do you know if it's best about episodes or novels and um, which do you prefer writing? Um, so we kind of address at least the which you prefer writing. And sometimes, sometimes whether it's an episode or a novel or whether it's short stories and novels or novellas and novels, a, a little bit of a judgment call. Um, and kind of what you're in the mood to write. But where I'm some, in the mood
0: to write and where I'm in the mood to edit are two often vastly different things.
1: I mean, sometimes I will bang out a hundred K novel and it will then sit there and stare at me for two years. It's like, quit staring at me. Jillian, I, I you feel you. you
0: you have a 200K novel or a 100K novel on your computer that you have not edited and I have not read? No. That was Sentry. Oh, okay. <laughs> Does that, Two years. Did that sound a little
1: shady to you? Did
0: that sound a little shady? I think that sounded a little shady.
1: <laughs> I mean, I have some long shit, but it's not It's not basically finished. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who am I to talk, Small Magic?
1: I mean, it is right. basically. I've got like one one chapter left. Well, you've got the battle of the five armies. I don't know what the, what the hell you're talking about, but I mean,
0: okay. So that's like four chapters.
1: Yeah. I mean, some, some things you can gloss over. I mean, Ellie, <laughs> don't rain on my parade. No, there was one time I did get in the mood. It, it hits me sometimes. It's like, I'm in the mood to edit. And one time I almost put an offer out there, like stupidly, like, does anybody have anything they want me to edit? Because that would be just dumb. Um, but I just really got in the mood to edit one at at one point. Just, it was a headspace that I was in. I edited a half a million words of my own work that month.
0: That, that, that's a good headspace to get into if you can do that. Next time you're in that headspace, let me know. I have some stuff that you can edit. <laughs> 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 what well, was, was like... she on? Obsessive compulsive disorder. That's what she was on.
1: It happens. <laughs> it happens. And usually it's like some kind of anxiety fueled thing, but I just go and it's mm-hmm. like. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like I will edit like 10-15 hours a day. And I can't say that it is a uh a great thing for me <laughs> to do that, but I do get in that mood sometimes. And there are some times where I just want to get into that like head editing, editing space where I want to dig in on on making something better, not starting something new. Um
0: Oh Chris, I have a question, but I don't want to ask you on the podcast, so um, just stick around for a little bit. Um, I have a curiosity about what you just said. Uh, <clears throat> but um, yeah, I mean, I think that if you want a long-term serial project, that you could cultivate one. So it just depends oh, sure. on what you want to do and what kind of investment you want to tell in a story. And do I have a love interest for Keely? Yes, I do. Um. I actually came upon him when I was casting for Fireborn, um, which is my first rough trade. Uh, I was right, by the way, while um,
1: while you're looking for that. Oh, you found it. Um, Cyrus Skillhard.
0: That is who I'm going to pair Keeley with.
1: Ooh. Ooh. I approve.
0: I briefly considered Ryze Shoprock, but I changed my mind because he kind of reminds me of Thorin. And that would be weird.
1: Oh, uh, Weird, yeah. <laughs> well, he, if he reminds you of Thorin, he's going to remind you a little bit of Keeley, and then that's a little bit like banging right. yourself, you know.
0: Right, um, a little weird. Just a touch. Just but I'm hoping that my work on Fireborn might get me more interested in finishing Small Magic. Because if it is going to make me more interested in finishing Small Magic, it will be because I dropped Tyr Warhide right in the middle of that. Even as a peripheral character, not really peripheral, but as a surprise character, at the very least, for some people who weren't listening to this podcast. Um, Julie, if you hadn't asked me, um, the actress who's playing Oh Miss Stoneheart is Julie Graham.
1: No, it, it, it's not. Uh, it, that's not uh, um, me, not when.
0: Uh, who's almost 60, by the way. Um, M- Megumi Sato is playing Fire Axe.
1: Yeah, Angela Bassett is aging like a boss. I mean...
0: uh, (sighs) Yeah, Ming-Na Wen is 58 years old. And you wouldn't fucking know it. Um, I mean, I I wouldn't have put her... I'd have put her in her mid-30s, honestly. Yeah. And I wouldn't have put Angela Bassett... I'd have put her somewhere around 50, and she's, what, 60...
1: I actually think she easily looks 45 or 40. I mean, she if you said, you know, could, if somebody if somebody asked her, could she pass? She's 63. If somebody asked me, could she pass for somebody who's 40 or 45? i go, yeah, she could pass. Just uh, tell me she's 63. Based
0: on what I know of her, I would have thought around 50. I had no idea she was 63 years old. It's just.
1: Yeah. I mean, she definitely <laughs> looks more like close. She's closer. She looks like she's closer to 40 than 50, but 63.
0: she's still fit as fuck. Oh, God. Yes. But Ming-Na Wen is beautiful, um, badass, and a lot older than I thought she was. I was a little startled. I was like, "Wow, other, girl, you get it." The
1: other, the other one who's aging really, who aging really nicely, who's just stunningly beautiful is Kate Blanchett. She's like fifty-two or fifty-three,
0: still um, looking like a boss,
1: right? I mean, she she wears her clothes. They do not wear her.
0: She's just she's really a, really a beautiful and stunning woman. Um, Thanks, Starlight. She's fifty-two.
1: Helen Mirren, oh yeah, she is a she very is,
0: fine wine.
1: Yeah, let see so, how old wow. she is. She, Helen Mirren really is a of Oz, too. She's seventy-six. Um, but um, when it comes to when it comes to the length of your narrative arc and whether you're going to write a serial or a series or whatever. Uh, some ideas, you need to be prepared, there are some ideas that are one narrative arc with, with subplots and breaking it into something episodic is going to be difficult. So if you're in the mood to write something serial and you're having a hard time doing it, it may be that you have got something that is really just one narrative arc that is not really going to break up well. And, and some ideas are just a big idea one idea and we talked before on the subplots but subplots and pacing is that mm-hmm. it we talked before so. on subplots and pacing that when you get to a certain length you're going to have to have subplots so it doesn't matter otherwise it starts to become overwhelmed part of it is an overwhelming thing and it has to do with pace but your story narrative starts to become very overwhelming if it, it's just if you're charging a hill for 70k and yes that subplot will make your narrative bigger but it will make your pace manageable. Um, but if you're having a hard time making something serial, it could be that you just have a single big idea that doesn't parse well into smaller chunks. I mean, you show me something that's 300K, I will show you how to um, break it up into pieces. You show me something that's 100K, maybe, maybe not. It just depends upon the story. You know, not everything can be split. And not everything can be told in short story format. Not everything can. Some ideas just don't lend themselves to certain things, depending upon your writing style. Now, some people can tell short stories. People can tell long stories. People can have a natural rhythm for one or the other. Only you know what kind of writer you are. Only you you know what kind of... I'm not talking to you, Siri. Only you know what kind of writer you want to be. So, it's just... It's all... It's all worth considering. Well, an epic, do you mean in the series fashion? Or do you mean like in a single novel?
0: I'd like to think I do both.
1: I do think you do both, (laughs) but you don't actually write a lot of uh, single single standalone epics. Because, well, honestly, you know better. No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think the Small Magic, if it's ever finished, would qualify. I do have a question. Oh, totally. Someone gave me a question. Go okay, um, I started attempting a serial episodic project that I began to get comments on why things weren't finished or hoping that things would get finished soon. So I kind of don't want to look at the project right now, and I hate that. How do you deal with that if you have stories that are complete in themselves but where the whole work is in episodes in serial format and not finished so people just have to say something?
1: Could you repeat the last bit of that question just for me? People on the podcast may have gotten that, but it it uh, the, the audio stuttered.
0: Okay. How do you deal with that if you have stories that are complete in themselves but where the whole work is in episodes or serial form and not finished so people just have to say something. Um so I'm gonna tell you a story. We'll tell you guys a story. I'm telling this person who asked this question specifically a story. Once upon a time I Back wrote, when the
1: earth was young. I wrote
0: a big ass novel. I threw down. It was at the time I considered one of the best works I'd ever put together. It was tight. It was called "Unleash Your Demons." Now, would you say, having read "Unleash Your Demons," that it is a complete work? Yeah, Jillian. Yeah. Okay. Of One of the first emails I got about "Unleash Your Demons" when it was put on the Quantum Bang was, "Is that I look forward to you finishing the story?" <sighs> <laughs> so it doesn't matter if you put out twenty five K episodes. Or short stories and you label every single motherfucking one of them complete. Or you write 114,000 words of a novel. Um, I had an asshole comment on All the World recently asking when there would be more. It's got a fucking uh, we, epilogue. They're never getting more.
1: That one was really clear. When I read that one, I was like, oh, that one's done. I mean, she had an epilogue I that set a way.
0: question on, yeah, 15 years in the future. Right, with I, had it on kids. Lull, I had it on Dr. Lull. I had it on All the World, I had it on Unleash Your Demons. Um, I don't have a very large completed work on my site where some asshole hasn't come along and asked me when they, they can expect more. So what I have learned to do and what I would like you to learn to do is to tell those assholes, even just mentally to yourself, to go fuck themselves and move on. Because we were talking about earlier about greed. And it doesn't matter if you put out 10K or 200K. There's going to be one greedy little motherfucker that's going to come along and ask you for more. Or what happens next. Or I wish this was more fleshed out.
1: And I just read that thing earlier where the person said that uh, Unobstructed Views was incomplete and needed to be fleshed out. I mean, I'm paraphrasing a wee bit, but not a ton.
0: But... That's basically what they said. Though they they don't think it's a compliment. They are demanding more because they believe they're entitled to more.
1: They they said nothing. You notice in the thing I go ahead,
0: go ahead.
1: They in the thing that I said there was nothing good said about that story. The only thing that could be taken good about my writing is an inference that it must be good, or they wouldn't hope that I finished it. Or hope that I fleshed it well, out. Because they've read a hope- whole
0: bunch of your stories that they felt aren't fleshed out.
1: Right? They hope I fleshed it out.
0: This is why you can't trust readers to give you um, feedback on your work. This is why you don't ask for so-called constructive criticism in your comments. Um, and why you ignore that shit when it happens Because they aren't writers They don't understand the narrative structure They don't understand a plot arc They don't understand characterization They don't know what GMC is outside of an audio uh, auto brand um, They don't understand what you're doing They just want more And when I said earlier that there are people in fandom Who would prefer 200,000 words of mediocre than 50k of amazing I meant it So we can't take those people and their demands seriously ever. And I have learned just to delete it and move on. I used to respond with a variety of insulting comments like, oh, well, you know, go, you can go fuck yourself. Or one time I told a lady, if you don't actually like the way I write, don't read it. And she got really bent with me and said that I should be, um, that I should welcome her feedback because she's just trying to make me a better writer, y'all that is the kind of comment that would have made me get in my car and go to somebody's house as a young woman. These people aren't qualified to give you advice and they're not qualified to tell you when your story is done. So don't let them. Write to please yourself. Post because it amuses you and fuck the rest. I'm happy to block somebody's entire country and VPNs. I've got an app that will do that now. I can prevent somebody with a virtual private network from logging into my site at all. They can get you right back to Google and don't think I wouldn't do it. That it just, it just really falls all over me. Because what they're doing, what they're doing is actually diluting their own fandom. They are... Uh, they instead of being grateful and thankful for what they get they demand more and more and more and more, and they stress writers out and then these writers don't want to produce anything and they start to hate their own work it is actually difficult for me to write in harry potter to this day so when i was thinking about going into april and i only had one project and it was a harry potter project project and i spent all last year writing harry potter and i haven't finished my last book in harry potter but i'm close that that where Harry time traveled, I got really nervous because I thought to myself, Am I am I gonna be able to write in Harry Potter for April and I don't have a backup? So I, I put together a backup because after um November ended, I full on retreated in the 911. You might have noticed. All four of my big moxies are 911s. It's a whole thing. They're not connected though. Uh quarter one is a
1: it's well, thematically track, they, I've already published thematically. They couldn't possibly be because of the
0: themes. Right. Right. Uh, two is a Sentinel fic where Eddie comes along as a Sentinel. Um, I adore it. It's not like any other Sentinel fic I've ever written. I think I, I can't compare it to any other that, that I've written. The third one is going to be a sequel to um, it's going to be part two of the Requiem series and the fourth one, which I broke 34 K on today. I started it on the 17th of March and I'm at 34k, and it's a soulmate time travel fic. I got a follow up comment here. Oh, okay, just a bunny. That's a cute ass bunny. Um, so that that's why I now have a uh, a a fusion with with dead files on a rough trade in my project files, just so I'll have a a safe place <laughs> to retreat. Because also, you know, writing Harry Draco, there, um, there's an audience for that, and um, my audience for Harry Draco is actually very kind to me. Um. They're, uh, for Harry Potter, they are exceptionally kind to me. They're they're never demanding. They never get insulting when I don't do what they want. They're grateful for what they get. I have a couple people who come in and read um, that old Black Magic twice a year and send me an email twice a year to let me know that they read it and they loved it and they thank me for it. And they don't ask about the sequel. They just say thank you. And that's fucking rare. <laughs> but I'm going to hit Harry Potter again for the fourth time on Rough Trade. Um, in a row and it's not going to be Harry Hermione and I Don't expect it to go uncommented on Frankly, I'm surprised I haven't already gotten comments. Although I have had a whole bunch of people reading my Harry Hermione work leaving me Sickingly sweet feedback like it's some kind of campaign or maybe I'm just paranoid But it could be both.
1: Yeah <clears throat>
0: But if there are no other questions we can in the podcast
1: the two key things I would say about this, while you guys are pondering questions before we end, is listen to that inner writer about what's going on, because most writers I know have a hesitation when they're embarking on something that is needs to be broken up, or when they've broken something up that shouldn't be. Um, a lot of them in the chat room will ha- have had that moment uh, where they hesitated on a project and they either got help or they didn't get help and they regretted it later, or they just sat on it for a while and they got clarity about it just by virtue of the fact that they sat on it for a little bit. Give yourself permission, give yourself room to do that because when it comes to a really big project, and that's what this question was about was really big projects. When it comes to the really big projects, whether you are doing a big project in a serial work, um, or whether you're doing a big project in an epic, these things are more likely to occur. You're more likely to hit that stumbling block where you just know something's not right. And sometimes it has nothing to do with this particular topic. Sometimes it's a characterization issue you can't quite put your finger on, or it's a pacing issue, or it's one issue disguising itself as something else. Um, Not to poke, but...
0: (laughs) (laughs) you can poke. I mean, you brought that, it up. That's my go-to. That's right. My, go-to, my assumption about myself is I'm fucking up the pacing. So, so we all have that little thing.
1: We have a thing. Um, I tend to think if I've messed up an uh, if I've messed up an area of characterization, I, to me it's catastrophic. Um, like, oh my god, this story is absolute crap. I can never. And the thing is, in one story that is actually up on EAD, um. I was so such a drama queen about it in my own head. I hadn't even gotten to the point of where I had implemented the character problem in my it was a plot point in the future. And I catastrophized the whole thing. I fucked up this whole series. I've invested all this time writing this. Fuck this noise. Fuck this piece of shit. It's a you know it's a disaster. I'm just gonna throw this away and move on to something else. And I was just so upset because I had messed up this point of characterization. And so I catastrophized it. And then when I went, went back and read it later, I was like, well, why doesn't he just have a different love interest? <laughs> it wasn't a big like, deal. I mean, I had laid no groundwork for that yet. <laughs> so it was just, it was so dumb, but I knew it was a mistake. And once I realized it was a mistake, I, I felt like, oh my God, I've made a character mistake. And I just, I, it was a baby bathwater situation. when you make yeah. a
0: when you make a mistake that you don't normally make.
1: So, whatever your author, inner author, is telling you, when you, if it's in the planning process or when it's in the writing process, especially if it's in the writing process, stop and listen. Because if something is giving you a hesitation, there's, there's a reason why. There's some part of your brain that is churning on something. And you maybe need to just take a walk away from it for a week, walk away from it for a few days, get an outside opinion, something to give yourself... A little room to come back and reevaluate and and that's fine and i think where this becomes a problem is when people have really big projects that they're taking right up to a due date like i'm writing i have this 200k story that is due for this challenge it's like well you better figure out where to split that bitch because you are not going to be done in time um that's a, that's a different problem but if you're not running up against a deadline, and this is fan fiction, hopefully you can give yourself, cut yourself some slack because there's no point in that kind of pressure. Pay attention to that author voice. Let it sit. Back up if you need to. Fix the problem because something is telling you there's an issue. Pay attention. And you will, a lot of times, when, when it, I don't think I've ever had a really big work where I didn't have a moment where I went, something's not right even if it was something small it was something just that moment and it is really important that you stop and pay attention cuz you can cor- course correcting in the moment it's a lot easier than course correcting after you've written 150k and then you go oh my god i messed up 20k in and it ripples through my whole fucking story mm. that is a that can beast. be a harsh moment that's a beast to fix so Pay attention. Not
0: only would I be throwing up, the baby with the bathwater. I could be throwing out the man who fathered that child too, because it would be like, nah, bitch. <laughs> I am. All y'all you're go like, by.
1: You're <laughs> like, and I've seen people. i seen people do that. Like I, I have pointed out. Um, somebody asked me to do an alpha read on a project once, and I did, and I alpha read it, and I gave them my the feedback. I did was loaded. Yeah, I it was loaded, and when I got done, I was like, I see the problem, and the thing is, I felt like the problem was fixable, but they were like, the whole story was basically written when they asked for this alpha read, and the problem was like in the first, like three pages, mm. and it had massive ramifications for the story set up.
0: That's really bad for her. Then. Yeah, I
1: felt I felt bad too. So I explained as gently as I could what the issue were. What the issues were and like I said I tried because I knew I was delivering catastrophic news about the problem that they hadn't seen that they had written into their whole story um and I knew I was delivering catastrophic news to them so I you know I stayed to talk to them through it about ways they could approach handling the situation um and how they could mitigate the problem and and the best way to approach editing for this situation and, dah, 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 dah. and I, I tried to Give them some hope for this because it functionally was a rewrite but i didn't feel like they needed to throw the whole thing out it was just going to be a case of you've got to go through this line by line and and address this and um they never touched the story again it's been years i get uh, it years like five six seven years something like that they've never touched it again and i
0: felt i get it i, I kind hurt but i get it
1: <laughs> i feel i feel guilty because i was like i delivered that news but they asked me for that news So They
0: already knew it Yeah They wouldn't have asked for the alpha read If they didn't already know That there was a fundamental problem They just didn't want to acknowledge it Yeah
1: So I mean It's dangerous when you ask somebody You know I've had people ask me For a very specific kind of feedback In an alpha read And I see something way different But they didn't ask me for that feedback And it, the, what I see is catastrophic To their storyline If they specifically were very clear that they only want this and this, okay, that's all they're going to get. And then I'm sitting there going, holy crap. Um, Other people, it's just like, read this and tell me what the problem is. And I'm like, oh, boy. And then... Well,
0: you fundamentally broke the entire um, world. Right. Um,
1: Well, one person told me, I said, read this tell me what the problem is. And I wrote back and I went... I'm like scratching my head going... Is there a problem? <laughs> it's like, I don't think like there's a problem.
0: Um, I and have read it, things where I thought to myself, well, all your um, all your
1: chapters were numbered correctly. There was a typo. I mean, I wasn't supposed to beta read this, but there were some typos, you know. Um, and actually, I think in that case, it was a, a, a case of the author uh, didn't think that there was enough. I don't know, um, maybe consequences to the character or something for some stuff that happened. I think maybe they just hadn't thought through the obvious, to me, implications of the consequences to the character, because there were a lot of implied consequences that were pretty brutal, actually. Um, so I think it was a case of, like, they felt like it was uh, dispropor- unbalanced. But to me, in my head, I was sitting there going, holy crap, that's rough. Um, but it was good it was really good and so they're sitting there asking me what's the problem and I read it and go and I was like I literally was like scratching my head and I went back and reread it because it it wasn't so long that I couldn't go back and reread it because usually I do an alpha read on a single pass because um I'm usually looking for my my first thoughts about something but I went back and reread it because I'm like I must be missing the flaw (laughs) I wrote them and I go what is it that you're looking for here because I'm not really seeing a problem Um, so I think part of that, that, that was just a case of where they had like an internal anxiety about the narrative that, that hadn't been, that they just needed to talk through with somebody to set their own anxieties so that they felt like that they had thought through all the issues more so than there was an act. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes you have a feeling about your work that doesn't match the actual work. And then you need to get feedback. Like, is this match what I, is this coming across the way I intended kind of thing? so but when somebody just says tell me what's wrong with this i'm usually like girding my loins for oh my god (laughs) i am about to have to tell them that this story needs to completely be redone and sometimes you're pleasantly surprised you're like oh there's something wrong here
0: but that's not often the case and i hate you deliver bad news like that oh it's terrible like a motherfucker i'll be like well this was fine and this was okay and i really like this part but did you know this this thing you did right here if this was actually true, that there would be like 10,000 regulations and spells and shit to prevent it um, otherwise, like they'd all die.
1: <laughs> I mean, how have they not wiped themselves out as a species? No, that kind of thing. I'm just I'm just thinking around the corners here <laughs>
0: so,
1: but pay attention that's, 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 the most...
0: that's, that's a hard thing to deliver.
1: It is that's, it's that's rough. And sometimes somebody goes, okay, and sometimes, I will tell you this, sometimes an author will find out the flaw and decide to live with it. And I understand that. Because if you've invested a huge amount of time in a work and fixing a flaw is, involves completely deconstructing your story and basically starting over, I understand living with a flaw. Believe me, I get it. For me, it would depend on the flaw. I mean, there are some flaws that went out with emergence that I know are there. I live with it because it wasn't that big a deal to me to fix. And I didn't feel like they were that big a deal. If somebody had pointed, you know, if somebody had pointed out like a, this breaks your world and it's, I'd have been like, oh, holy crap, what am I going to do with this except rewrite? Um, but fortunately it wasn't anything that was that grossly wrong. But so you can avoid getting yourself into these circumstances by not pushing past the point at which you feel like there's a problem. And we've all done that. We've all had that moment, that niggling unease where we think there's a problem and we kept going and gone, I'll deal with it later. I'll just go on to my next plot point, my next plot event and, and figure this out some other time. I'll get an alpha read later. Sometimes that's a catastrophically bad decision. Yeah. Give yourself and permission. For it three months from now. Yeah. Give yourself permission to step away, to take a break, to get a take a breather, to stop and think, to get some assistance. And with really big works, this is really, really important.
0: Well, if there are no other questions, um, thank you guys for hanging out with us and I hope that this podcast has been beneficial and that you've had a great week and that when you're going forward, that you're thinking about your projects and how you wanna structure them in advance. And um, if you want to do a big serial project, you do one and don't let readers' expectations fuck with you because they always have expectations always
1: and it's not your job to meet them no and they will they'll never stop asking for more ever
0: ever so um i this is we're four days five days four days out basically from rough trade i hope you guys are ready to rock we're gonna this is gonna be awesome um and thanks for hanging out with us say good night jilly
1: good night everyone